Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast by Sun Projections, episode 43. And my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics which you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Mark Shimkovitz. Mark, SDAM, DFP, CDFA, is Vice President, Financial Advisor, Associate Portfolio Manager with Raymond James Limited. For 25 years, Mark has been managing investment portfolios and providing financial planning advice to community families, trusts, and nonprofit organizations. Mark takes a life-first approach to financial planning, working in partnership with his wife, Robin, a certified life coach. He has developed and refined a unique process to help clients successfully plan for the future by first clarifying their priorities and goals. This allows him to build and implement highly personalized financial plans and investment strategies. As part of this his dedication to helping clients achieve a cohesive wealth management strategy, Mark works closely with their accountants, consultants, lawyers, and other trusted professionals. Mark recently launched a podcast called Living Richer, which aims to educate listeners about the basics of personal finance. Mark, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. Mark, well, uh, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast here. We'll come back to your podcast a little later, but uh, there's a lot I'd like to explore with you. So let's uh, let's dive right, right in. So tell me a little bit about your firm, just your own operation. What do you do and who do you typically serve? Well, I guess, first of all, starting off with Raymond James, uh, because a lot of people aren't familiar with who Raymond James is. We are Canada's largest independent wealth management firm. Firm-wide within Canada, we have about $50 billion of assets under administration. We have just under 500 financial advisors across the country. And uh, so I guess you could say the average book size here is about $100 million. There's two different models. There's the uh, independent financial services model where advisors sort of run their own practice, are responsible for most of their own costs. I'm in the traditional model. It's called the IAS model. And I work here in downtown Toronto. In terms of a little bit more about me and my practice, you know, I came over to Raymond James about two and a half years ago. As you mentioned, I've been a financial advisor for 25 years. The first 20, I guess, two or 23 years were with two bank-owned firms. And then I decided, I, I for a number of reasons, we could probably get into some of those. And then you left the dark side. <laughs> I saw the light in 2017 and came over to Raymond James. And I guess the only mistake I made was not coming over sooner because it absolutely <laughs> is a phenomenal firm. So, you know, that, that's sort of, I, I guess, you know, where I am. As I said, I started off 25 years ago taking you a little bit back to where sort of how I got into the business. You know, I, I graduated from business school back in the late 90s, and I've always been a bit of an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, that That's what sort of, you know, drives me and gets me excited and gets me going. And, you know, before getting into financial services, uh, I, I took a deep dive in into uh, business ownership. I actually owned a couple of restaurants here in Toronto. Wow, okay. Yes. Uh, one was very successful and one wasn't. So, you know, I, I learned from my mistakes and, and I wouldn't call the second one a failure because it really was very much a learning opportunity for me. It always is. Yeah. And, and so back in 94, I was looking at, okay, well, now what do I want to do with the rest of my life? I, whatever it is I do, I want to make it the rest of my career. And, and it's definitely worked out. So I want to actually talk about that exactly. So what made you really an advisor? We'll come back to your clients, but like what's, what was the trick? 
trigger really for you in your early days. You, you actually didn't know that you owned a restaurant, so that's really interesting. Yeah. And uh, I have a lot of appreciation for entrepreneurs, and because it's really hard, it's one of the reasons. But the other thing is, what actually triggered your thought process, decision process? What was the decision process behind becoming a financial advisor? Because you know that's a major decision. It, it sure was. And, and I didn't take the decision lightly. So when I got out of the restaurant business, I you know took a step back and I said, okay, now what do I want to do? I took a fairly disciplined approach and, and took a look at a lot of different things. I was looking at the uh, tax sector. and But when I was a little bit, uh, I guess you could say, uh, more introspective, what are the things that I enjoy doing? What are the things that I'm good at? And you know, Having graduated from business school, where I did focus a lot on finance and marketing, after speaking to a friend who was uh, an investment advisor, I guess you used to call them stockbrokers back then, you know, I really liked what they were doing. And, and I liked the opportunity that being a financial advisor gave me to use the skills that I've got and, you know, take advantage of the things that I'm good at. So that's sort of what got me into the business. Interesting. Wow, this is really interesting. So I am actually, how is, yeah. I, I know it's going to be hard for you to compare, but you've been a bit back on on firms for a long time. Now you're on yeah. the independent side, so and you're an entrepreneur as well. So you know, how, what's the difference for you? Like, what's the difference in terms of I don't know, freedom to operate and ability to really create the practice you want? And it, oh, yeah, I I want to get to your clients, but we'll get there in a second. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I just just even the the uh, the contrast because you know it's been pretty fresh. It's not like you know you've left the, the bank on firm fifteen years yeah. ago. It's been two and a half about two and a half years ago. So it's uh, you know what. What's the comparison for you between the previous life and, the, and current life? <laughs> okay, so I, I guess here's where I need to be a bit of a politician. <laughs> you know, when you watch it, you see it on TV, they're asked questions, and, and they want to make sure they give the, the answer that is, I guess, a little bit more politically correct. Because what I'm saying is I don't want to necessarily come across as, you know, bashing the banks. Okay. Uh, when I first started back in 94, it was only several years after banks were allowed to get into the investment industry and had started buying up firms. And I, I guess I can say that I started off with uh, RBC Dominion Securities and a fantastic firm. You know, they did a lot of things great. And when I first started, they were very entrepreneurial. It was the financial advisors who had been running the business. And the problem was slowly over time, became a lot less entrepreneurial. And uh, and then in 99, I moved to another bank home from where I was there for 17 years. And also, again, started off as a very, very entrepreneurial. But slowly over time, I saw this shift, a shift towards, you know, doing things the bank's way in terms of products being subtly or sometimes not so subtly pushed. And, and, and they might do that by, you know, incentivizing or, or commission structures that would push you in a certain direction. And, you know, so seeing that move, that shift over time, didn't quite sit right with, I, I would, I would imagine with almost any entrepreneur. And when I started looking at different firms, the one thing that really struck me with Raymond J. James, right off the bat was their tagline. And it's your business, your way. And they really do embrace that. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not a stockbroker. I don't consider myself to be someone who likes to buy and sell. And, and we'll get into that, I guess, uh -huh. a little bit later. But if that's the type of thing that gets you going, then go ahead. You know, more financial planning, 
more wealth management. They allow you to run your business your way. And, and, and it's not just words. They actually do follow it up with actions. That's that's actually a fantastic response. And and, and again, I, I don't want to encourage bashing banks and banks and so on, although they may deserve all this. But it's uh, maybe a, a tiny bit biased towards the independent side because uh, I like entrepreneurs a little bit more. But I think that's uh, that's a really that's a really good answer, right? Because I mean, the companies, uh, the firms evolve over a number of years, and the marketplace evolves over a number of years. Look back even right. five years ago, we didn't have robo advisors in Canada. We have robo advisors in Canada today, right? And and uh, I remember the taglines, for example, with you know even five years ago about you know robo advisors are going to steal our jobs over advisors, and it's just mm-hmm. it's so interesting, right? So the so the really the the business the market has shifted, and I, I guess you're at a point that you know it made more sense for you to move, and, and that's a great perspective for especially for some somebody who's who's younger in the industry. So that's great. So all right, so I think we're ready to focus a little bit more on your practice, basically. So right. I know you have a little bit of unique process, and I alluded a little bit to it a little bit in the intro and working with your wife as well. But tell me, you know, at a high level, how do you approach advising and serving your clients, and who do you typically serve? Who are your typical clients right now? Well, the approach that we have, we call it life goals financial planning, and uh, I, I guess you could say it goes beyond the typical financial planning, where it's you know a lot about the numbers, knowing where where you are today, and then how much you want to budget for to spend in retirement. With a life goals approach, and, and I guess so I can uh, take a step back and just talk a bit about the structure of our practice before we get into the, what the approach is. So I do, I work with my wife, my wife, Robin, and uh, she is a a certified life coach. She had actually spent 25 years in uh, public relations agency world. And and she had been in a position where she was fairly senior and and a lot of her day-to-day activities was mentoring people, guiding people, helping them achieve what was best for their career. And when I moved over here to Raymond James, part of it was to embrace sort of a different structure. And working with Robin, focusing on the life goals that and helping clients understand what their life goals and, and uh, working towards them, as well as combining the financial aspects, we put, we, we put together, I guess, a structure and a process for our clients that allows them to do that. And a lot of the stuff that we do is borrowed from a company called Pareto, who you may be familiar with, Duncan McPherson. Mm-hmm. And he has been very, I guess, in a way, instrumental in helping us to develop and refine our process. And we, we use our process when we're helping clients understand financial independence. We use sort of, I guess, a bit of a Venn diagram, if you will. Uh-huh. On the one side, looking at the things that are important in somebody's life, and at the other side, looking at the things that we can control. And, and the things that are important, family, occupation, recreation, these are the why that we say, behind what it is we want to achieve. And then using that acronym of FORM, family, occupation, recreation, and then money, money is the how. And then on the other side, looking at the things that we can control. And this is our process. This is our philosophy. This is our process that we follow and the planning. And and then when we combine the two, we say, you know what, we want to work in that area where the two circles overlap. We're we're not going to be looking at things that are outside of our control 
You know, it doesn't matter. We cannot control what the markets are going to do, as we know. But we can control how we act and how we model our portfolios and how we plan for the future. And there's a lot of things on the other side, you know, that are not necessarily important. And and so we really want to focus in on that intersection between the things that are truly important to people mm-hmm. and are the things that we can control. This is useful because this is this is not a usual process, right? I mean, there's typical financial bank process that people typically use, and, and you actually went a little bit deeper. And I want to underline that spend more time, right? Because you know, just you were it's not just part of the process. You actually have another person as part of your team, your wife Robin, right. working with you yeah. and, and, and providing that confidence. So that's a big part of your practice. And and that's I think it's a very unique element of your practice, which definitely makes you, you know, different and unique in the, in the marketplace. But just more tactically, when do you invoke this process or, or when this component of the process is getting invoked? Initially, when you're working with a client or, for example, you know, part of you know, one of the first couple of meetings with a client or, or, or this process is uh, part, of, part of the planning process and happens a little later. And of course, it has to happen a little earlier, right? But, but I'm just curious, is this the first meeting? How do you even bring this up with clients? First conversation. First conversation. Okay. Right off the bat. I just, had, uh, I just brought on a, a new client this past month. It was referred to me by a, an accountant and he was a little bit discouraged with his relationship at a bank-owned firm. <laughs> and it, right off the bat, he was asking me about performance and what sort of performance numbers, almost the first thing out of his mouth that he could talk mm-hmm. about. And I said, well, let's just you know dial this back a bit so I, because I want you to understand you know, who I am and what I do. And, and it's absolutely critical for me, as it is for you, Mr. or Mrs. Client, that there's a fit. And so I, I say right off the bat, look, I'm not a stock trader. That's not what I do. I don't believe in the philosophy. I don't believe that it is central to anybody's financial long-term financial independence, financial success, success, achieving your goals. And then I talk about it. And so I talk about, you know, what it is we do, how we do it and who best works with us. And and, and I said, I just want to lay it all out there. And this may not be for you, but what it, it, it can't be is from my standpoint, working with people, because I want to help you achieve your goals. But if this philosophy isn't right, if there's not a fit on both sides, it's not going to work in the long run. So how, how much time does it take, actually? And, and is this Robin working with a client initially after the first conversation to discover, look at the Venn diagram, document that before you get uh, uh, back to the financial numerical side? Yeah, so we, we do very early on, almost right off the bat in first meetings, when we get together with a client, we want to go through the entire process. And, and, and I, I tend to use that Venn diagram to help illustrate it. This is where we live as I said, in that intersection between the things that are important and things we can control. And then our process, how we follow through on that, we have what we call our 3D process. And uh, what that stands for is discover, design, and deploy. And so when we uh, tell the clients, we're going to spend a lot of time in that first D, in that discovery stage. And and, and then again, this I don't think is anything new uh, to the investing world, but we place a lot of emphasis on both the emotional and the financial discovery, but starting off with the emotional. And we say, you know, where, where are you today? Are you happy with where you are talking about that family occupation recreation? I also 
talk about, you know, what is it that gets you up in the morning, but also what is it that keeps you up at night? You know, I want to know about your concerns, you know, and because I think that no matter what those concerns are, that we can work through them, we can help you develop a strategy to get past it. So that discovery stage, so we spend a lot of time on that, you know, I think financial discovery is a lot easier, you know, it, it really, for me, at least, you know, getting a good clear picture of where they are today. And but then it's also the discovery is where are you today, but also where do you want to be? When do you want to retire? What does retirement look like to you? What are some of the financial, I guess, obligations or transitions that are going to come up along the way? You know, uh, are you planning for a child's wedding that you're going to want to finance if you're a little bit younger? Of course, you've got uh, education planning for your children and then retirement and and what are the things that you want to do? Because you know, uh, I know that there's clients who look to travel a lot in retirement and others. I, I remember I had a client who, you know, she could just garden all week long, a day in, day out. That was great. Sure. But we try to help clients achieve that work optional retirement. That, that I think for a lot of people is, is, a, is a significant goal. And so that's the discover stage. And then the, this, the design stage is saying, okay, so here's where we are. Here's where we're going to want to go, what are the things that we need to do from a savings strategy perspective, from an estate planning perspective? You know, we have tremendous resources here at Raymond James in terms of we have two attorneys actually who work here in our office, one that does estate insurance planning and one that does wills and powers of attorney to make sure that we're dealing with all of those things. So the design stage is putting all of the steps in place where we maybe need to fund different fun things different ways. Maybe want to look at reducing the amount of expenses within a portfolio. Tax strategy is very important. And, 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 and it's also important for me to point out that this isn't something that happens very quickly. It definitely does evolve over time. And to that end, what we've also done is we've created a, a checklist of priorities. So we go through it with the clients and say, you know, here's the things that we absolutely really need to deal with now. Here's some of the things that we will want to do over time. I don't want people to get inundated and think, oh my God, we've got all of these different issues. You know, this is going to be completely overwhelming. No, 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 don't worry about it. We're going to take it one step at a time. We're going to walk before we run. Excellent. So uh, you mentioned additional resources just to attorneys, for example. I'm curious, would you, and of course, again, it, it goes back to what clients you serve, right? Which, you know, how complex are those clients? But what is the percentage of cases would you actually uh, involve those attorneys? Would it be, you know, 100% every single client or it would be just basically, you know, one of depending on the need, right? Because that's kind of important for people who think about, okay, should I just build my practice based by myself or with partnership with somebody else? That might be useful. Right. You, you know, as we're going through the discovery process, it, it sort of becomes self-evident where those sort of gaps are. And, 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 I, and I guess I should have mentioned that that, that that sort of gap analysis is very important. We say, here's things that are working well for you. Here's the things that aren't. And, and I'll, I will always ask right off the bat, you know, do you have uh, wills and powers of attorney? Are they up to date? Has anything changed in your life that might 
necessitate updating them. And if that's the case, then I bring in Janet, our, our uh, wills and estates attorney, and, and she will go through things with the clients. And, and I can give you a, a great example of uh, something that happened very recently. And, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of funny because the, the client came in and like a lot of people, we don't want to pay the government any more money than we need to, you know, and she was, she's currently uh, in her, I guess, mid seventies. And uh, her husband passed away a few years ago. And when he did, everything was in joint name, except for one account. And uh, that one investment account had to be probated. And as a result, she was determined to never have to pay probate again. So without consulting any financial advisors, what she did was she went ahead and with one of her sons, put her home in her son's name, thinking that she would be able to avoid probate. What she didn't realize was that by doing so, she essentially eliminated the principal residence exemption. And here in Toronto, if I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with what the real estate market has done over the last several years. And as a result, and she did this several years ago, uh, she currently, by our estimation, has about $125,000 tax bill that if it, the house were to transfer today because of capital gains, if he was to take that house and then sell it, that's what she's already accumulated now. So she has accumulated, she's already built up an unrealized tax capital gain, or I, I guess he has um, by ha- taking over that asset. So we pointed that out to her and, and we said, now, you know, there's a couple of options here. We can either try and, you know, reverse that back, but there will be a capital gain. You'll take back the home. And and in the end, you know, she understood the mistake she had made. And uh, if you can believe it, she actually sent me an email thanking me for, I guess you could almost say costing her $125,000, but that's a capital gain that ultimately will will be born by her son when he eventually sells the place. And all that was done to try and avoid probate, which may have been in the area of one and a half percent. Yeah. And I, you know what I actually wanted to comment really quickly is it's just, it's a really good example of, of the value of that financial advisor provides, right? Because, because it's sometimes it's not, you know, media t- tends to focus on performance and, and, you know, just, you know, this one additional percent to additional percent, you know, there's the cost of investment, what you advisor versus not what you advisor versus, you know, mutual funds versus ETFs. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, and, and I think uh, the one fact that's really, um, often missed, I would say very often missed, is that when you're working with a financial advisor, you very often can avoid this one huge mistake, this one financial blunder that's going to set you back for, you know, hundreds and in this case, $125,000, right? And uh, and again, I mean, uh, you know, people just think that they can do it because they talk to the neighbor or somebody else relative to the you know, cocktail party and so on. And it's uh, and it's uh, it's just, you know, it's not about uh, even the value that uh, the advisor can actually deliver every single year, it just you know, progressively. But there are some of those uh, elements that basically come up intermittently over the years. And, you know, this one thing that could really help her. I mean, if she was working with you at the time, I mean, she wouldn't have done this mistake. And right. um, so so that's uh, that's a good example. So um, excellent. Okay, let's continue. So we talked about yeah. discover design uh, and we kind of get to the deployment part, right? Yeah. So, and that's exactly what that, that is. And that's part, part of it is putting the plan into action. And as I was mentioning before about the walk before we run. So uh, we've, we figured out what we need to do. We've prioritized and we need to do it. And that's 
in all being, I guess, all part of the design stage. And then as assets start to come in, we start to deploy and, and deploying in terms of bringing in our internal experts is part of the deploy, a review of your wills and powers of attorney, starting to invest, looking at setting up proper savings strategy. And, uh, you know, to, to that point, the value that we're able to add, you know, oftentimes people say, you know, what, am, what is it I'm paying you for? And, and, you know, when we look at, and you had mentioned earlier on about robo advisors and fintech in the United States, there's a lot of these taps um, and and same thing. So we need to be able to articulate and demonstrate why we deserve to be paid more than you know thirty or forty basis points that could perhaps be attributable to the investment management. And when I'm talking to clients and talking about our process, I'm very clear, in fact, in saying that you know when you're hiring me, the investment management component is only one slice, and it's not a very large slice. The value that we're able to add as financial advisors to our clients, and, and we're very clear in demonstrating that it makes a huge difference. And, and you know, I, I, I try to give people an example of, you know, how we can grow their wealth better by being a little bit smarter. So I, I do spend a lot of time on the financial planning and within financial planning, talking to people about budgeting and saving for retirement. And I, I say, look, if you're currently saving, you know, let's throw a number out there, $1,000 a month into an, an RSP. If I can sit down with you and go through your budgets and perhaps find a way to save an extra $100 a month. Not a huge number. I'm helping you grow your retirement savings by 10%. So instead of saving $1,000 a month, you're saving $1,100. That's a 10% increase. Now we could spend a lot of time looking at shaving five basis points on an ETF or or negotiating on the cost. But if I'm able to uh, help you take a step back and say, let's really look at the big picture. You know, let's look at what's really most important to you. You know, those should be your benchmarks for measuring success. And I and I do talk a lot about benchmarks because people do say, you know, how do you do relative to the S&P t- or the TSX or the Dow Jones or you name it? I say none of those benchmarks are your benchmark. You know, if your benchmark is to save $1,000 a month into your RRSP and, and we're able to save $1,100 a month, we've beaten your benchmark by 10%. You know, don't go by other people's benchmarks. Go by your own. That's a really good way of putting this. This I haven't actually heard that. So you mentioned several things. I want to. I don't know if I have time to get back to everything, but you mentioned budgets, and and that's budgets are interesting, right? Because uh, you know, from the financial bank perspective, you know, often we, as we're just even designing our own software, we we're finding that well, clients. Well, first of all, then they don't like to actually do budgets. Most of them, yeah, maybe some, yeah, got small percentage likes in budgets, but small. Right. But um, yeah, they're to use. They spend uh, a lot of time, and of course, when you add all of the different expenses, then technically, what's the difference between expenses and what you're making? What's your salary, for example? That should be uh, what you are able to save. In, in a lot of mm-hmm. actually financial planning software packages, that's that's the case, and it often is inaccurate because because clients unfortunately turn turns out that they cannot save that much. And and so we've kind of we have different ways of approaching this actually uh, internally. But what we've actually focused we focused on how much you're saving right now. If working with financial advisor leads to additional savings, great. You can actually add uh, and then, for example, say that this year maybe you save a little bit more in TFSA or RSP or even non-registered. 
great, fantastic, great. Maybe there's not, uh, other opportunities. But I want to ask you a question about after this longer intro, how effective is working around budgets with clients? And, and like, what are some of the you know, tips or, or challenges, for example, what, what, what you found works around budgets and what, what you found that maybe doesn't work and maybe for some clients? It's a big question, but maybe you can share some of the expertise on that. Wow, that, that is a big question. Yeah, and, and, and I agree. I, I think that as soon as you talk about budgeting, right away, people take a step back. Oh, you know, I, I don't want to talk about budgeting. But I, I think that talking about things like spending or having expenses or spending money with purpose, not, you know, spending without forethought. I'm very much a firm believer on the pay yourself first strategy. And so regardless of where somebody's at, if they, and, and if they understand where they want to go, and, and again, you know, it's having a strong enough why, why is it that you want to achieve something? You know, it doesn't matter if you're making, you know, $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month, or $3,000 a month. This is your starting point. You know, there's there's an old saying that when your outflows are greater than your income, your upkeep becomes your downfall. And and, and I think that that means a lot. So it, it's knowing what your income is and, and helping clients understand this this is this is what you've got. We are not going to allow you to go into debt because that's not your your goal is way too powerful. Whatever your goal happens to be, that's a powerful goal. We want to help you achieve that. And getting people to really internalize that and understand that and say, okay, here's what you have coming in every month. You know, you have non-negotiable expenses. Uh, you've got to pay the rent. You've got to pay the hydro, you know, whatever your non-negotiable expenses are, they're coming off the top. Paying your future self must also be a non-negotiable expense. And and once you've got gotten through those negotiable, non-negotiable expenses, you being one of them, the future you, then the rest of it is money that you can spend. And, and that may not be a lot, but as long as you're prioritizing things properly, then you're okay with that. And, 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 you know, sometimes people can say, oh yeah, okay, you know what? I get it. And, and sometimes they do for a little while <laughs> and, and then I'll get a call and I'll say, okay, well, so how do we fix this? You know, because I really want to help you succeed and I'm sure you want to succeed as well. So it, it gets into that emotional side of things. And, and uh, quite honestly, that's where a life coach becomes hugely beneficial. And that's why I think that oh, myself knowing the numbers and, and under, helping clients understand it, but then my wife. Robin, really helping people to internalize that, you know what, I've got to get this thing fixed. And, and you know, that, that, that's what it is. It's, it really is helping clients to understand what it is they're doing, why they're doing it. And then, and then they have that own, their own drive to succeed. It's very cool, actually. It's, uh, the behavioral side is huge, of course, and you know there has been a lot. I mean, there's even a lot of fintechs trying to address that. But I think you yeah. really have a unique process with actually addressing this with your wife. Oh yeah, and 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 just on that point, we don't want to necessarily go down that rabbit hole. But <laughs> behavioral finance is absolutely huge, and that's something that I also spend a lot of time on. A couple of years ago, I was uh, chatting with a financial advisor, and he actually so we went to we were looking at the six different areas of financial planning. Of course, all the way from financial management, risk management, investment planning, retirement planning, and so on. He basically would, uh, was arguing that there is another component missing, which is the behavioral component that should be part of the six. It should, there should be seven foundational areas of financial planning. And I've seen his presentation, and we, we had a lot of conversation about it. So that's uh, 
that's that's fascinating. So and it's great. That's really unique way how we've approached this. So so I want to go back just uh, in terms of your process. I think we have pretty good. I have pretty good understanding of your process. Any other thoughts on wealth management? I mean, like you've been in this in this business for twenty five years. You've seen yeah. the change of the markets. You've seen two significant market crashes. So, you know, what, any other thoughts that you have around wealth management in terms of just how we can be focused on achieving the right outcome for the client? Okay. So wealth management, market crashes, in my opinion, completely different things. Because one of the things that it, people most often confuse is that investment management is not wealth management. It's a component of it, but it's not wealth management. If we want to talk about investment management, you know, I, I think that for me, it's absolutely critical to keep things very simple. You know, I, I am certainly a, a believer like that. that I am not going to be able to out perform the markets you know the the statistics the information is all there that you know the vast majority over 90% of all mutual fund managers underperform their benchmark over a 10-year time period. And of course, that doesn't even tell you the whole story because it excludes survivorship bias. So, you know, all those managers who didn't even survive for the 10 years. So they're not going to be able to do it. And that's all they do all day long. I'm not going to be able to do it. So from an investment management standpoint, uh, we build very simple, diversified ETF model portfolios. And those models in terms of asset mix are going to change depending on uh, time horizon, risk tolerance, things like that. But we all we're trying to do is get, sorry to say it again, benchmark type returns. Because uh, I, I, if I can keep my costs down and if I can keep volatility low, I can keep people's eyes away from that. They tend to stray sometimes, but that's when we sort of step in. And as you mentioned, I've seen significant 2008 was not a fun year. <laughs> and so we've seen some significant pullbacks. And it's really a matter of helping clients under, understand that this too shall pass. We know that one in every four years is a negative year. It, it's going to happen. And sometimes it goes a little bit longer. And sometimes those pullbacks are going to be uh, a little bit deeper. It's going to happen. It's the price we pay for being invested. But understanding that, that it's going to happen helps us deal with you know some of those behavioral finance mistakes that we can all be subject to. So it, there, there's definitely some handholding. I don't know if I went a little bit off track there, but you know, from an investment management standpoint and how that fits into a wealth management standpoint, you know, I, I guess that's sort of the approach. I, I like the approach. I like the, uh, and then the your response, right? Because I mean, again, I'm looking from the also from the fintech perspective and and from consumer perspective. And when you're thinking about you know working with an advisor and if you're trying to re- replace that relationship with with you know any you know, maybe machine learning learning algorithms, and you're thinking, okay, well, financial advisors are really great at tailoring the advice, or they should be. The good ones are, or maybe the ones mm-hmm. that survive in the business are really good at at tailoring the advice to their clients and and. Like your process shows that you have, you know, you have this very simple Venn diagram, two circles, intersection, then you have 3D discover, design, replay, deploy, and and it's you know it's you know following the industry process, but you've actually simplified this to the to the point that it's easy to understand, it's easy to remember for clients, and then mm-hmm. depending on the questions, the general one that you were you were speaking earlier talked about performance. I want to talk to, talk about performance first. You right. you had a way to to address that. So it's about you know from the fintech perspective, coming back to it, you know how do 
truly personalized in an automatic way at scale that all the conversations that, for example, financial advisors could have with their clients. It's a big challenge, right? So, so, and it's not something that can be uh, self-deterministic. So maybe that's a technical comment, but uh, I'm kind of interested in technology from that perspective. Well, I, I mean, I, I the, look, Financial technology, the robo-advisors, uh, they're here to stay. We, we just need to say, okay, now that we have taken that as, you know, that's the case, they are here to stay, what role are we as financial advisors going to play? Where are we going to add value? And, and I think that, you know, I'm not going to be able to outsmart you know, a computer program. I, I just don't have that much of an ego to think that I can. <laughs> you can use that program. Well, maybe once in a while I can outperform, but not, not, but, but, but it's, it's, it's realistic. You know, they're going to be able to rebalance back to efficient frontiers faster. They're going to be able to uh, be a lot more nimble and, and a lot more, you know, a lot, a lot quicker. But so what I can do is it, using, you know, whatever fintech it, it, or it may be our own internal portfolio management strategies, use that, but then really sort of circle back with the clients and say, but let's look at what it is that's truly important to you, you know, and, and if we can at least agree upon the fact that nobody's going to outperform the markets, I'm going to try and create a portfolio that's going to mirror the markets, you know, and I also want to, uh, be very clear to clients that, you know, I'm not ignoring that. That is important. And when we're creating portfolios, you know, we have both a strategic asset mix and a tactical asset mix, which most people are aware of. And and we're going to tweak things. And if we think that, you know, the market, the economy is a little bit long in the tooth and, and perhaps we may be coming into a recession, what sort of little tweaks do we want to take? And, and you know, that might be things along the line, uh, along the lines of, you know, getting out of high beta investments, getting into sectors that are a little bit more that hold up, tend to hold up better in a recession, like consumer staples, things like utilities, as we know, those tend to be a little bit stronger. So that's some of the tactical mix shifts that we're going to take. Uh, and I, and I let clients know that I said, don't, you know, don't let all of this discussion around, you know, emotional and, and, and behavioral finance and long-term goals confuse you with the fact that yes, I am still very much on top of making sure that your money is being properly managed. Excellent. And I like that your benchmark, what is your benchmark in terms of a client? Because there will be difference with for, for every client. So that's that's great. So let's talk about uh, just your clients and acquisition. So what kind of clients, and of course, you've been in the business for a long time. So like, what is the sweet spot for you? What kind of clients you like, you enjoy working with? And how do you acquire them right now? Well, we do a, a few different things. You had alluded to the fact uh, early on uh, about a podcast. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, so what is the podcast? Li- living, rich, <laughs> li- living Richer with, with Mark Shimkovitz. So uh, we we've very much embraced and and by the way this was one of the things that i was very happy with the fact that raymond james has allowed me to create and and launch my own podcast because i do believe on providing information and and you know to the general public i think it's very valuable you know the the amount of financial literacy in this country is horrible so we we really focused a lot on that but so in terms of uh, client acquisition we're very active on social media my wife, Robin, having her PR background, she's focused a lot on content development. So we write articles and blogs. We're very active on LinkedIn. We're also very active on Facebook through our podcast. And uh, we're also uh, very active in 
outgoing sources of communication with our clients. So we produce a bi-weekly newsletter, you know, and now a lot of the stuff for the other advisors out there think, oh my God, that's so difficult. Uh, whatever firm you're working for and, you know, Raymond James, I can only speak about what we're doing here, puts out a tremendous amount of content and they're only too happy to let me rebrand it in my own way. You know, so definitely taking advantage of the information we have here in terms of newsletter. I use a, a newsletter marketing agency. They produce a newsletter for us. We tweak it. We, you know, create a little bit of a different upfront to our newsletter and we can add in our own content. A lot of the content is theirs. Um, so we try to leverage both internal and external sources in terms of our marketing. So we're starting to see some traction that way. I'm, I'm also a big advocate of, uh, of course, trying to get referrals. And, and that's a seed that I plant very early on in relationships. You know, one of the, the things that I do for clients, and, you know, I, I think that most advisors should be doing is better articulating, um, you know, the benefit of having, bringing us in. And, and, uh, and the way that I position that is that I'll say to clients in the very beginning, you know, you're hiring me for a lot of different services. I'm here to help you to help things uh, better for you. And along those lines, the people that are important to you, your friends, your loved ones, you want to see them succeed. And, And if there are any ways that I can help them, you know, use me as a resource. If they have questions that are, that they're confused about, I will do that for you because you are an important client to me and I know that you want to see your client. And, and, and I'm actually starting to see uh, referrals coming in that way. And, and, then, and then the last thing we do is we tend to focus a lot on our centers of influence, which of course, again, that, that's not any uh, hidden secret, and, and, but I'm also leveraging our internal resources. So I had mentioned to you our, our estate planning and insurance lawyer who works with us. Um, his name's Trevor Perry, who is probably one of the foremost specialists in Canada on individual pension plans. So that's something that's unique. And we're doing a lot of seminars at accounting firms, helping cl- uh, the accountants better understand how IPPs work, how they benefit their business clients. And, and, I, and I think that one of the first things you just asked me before, again, I went down this little rabbit hole, it was my typical client. So most of the clients that we have are uh, business owners, pre-retirees and uh, early retirees. And, 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 and I think that the benefit uh, for, for that group is that one of the things that we talk about in terms of in our website and in our, a lot of our information is that life is always in transition. And we know that it's at those points in life's transitions where there are emotional and financial decisions that need to be made. You know, if you're getting married, if you're starting a new job, if you've lost a job, if you're getting divorced, if you're approaching retirement, those are major life transitions. And that's where we tend to add a lot of value. We know that a lot of those uh, life transitions that involve a lot of money mm-hmm. tend to occur for clients 40 years old plus. And, and so that that's sort of the sweet spot for our clients. And, you know, in terms of dollar terms, I can tell you that uh, our average client is about a million plus. 
So, you know, we're able that that's where we're able to add a lot of value. Uh, although we don't turn away clients, we're smaller if we feel that e- either they're a client that can grow to add a lot of value, or if they're, of course, you know, happen to be kids of existing clients. Excellent. So this is all right. And I think uh, I mean, you're very, very active on, on, on the marketing front and you're leveraging the synergies that you have. Of course, a huge step, you know, get your wife involved, especially if you can help with that. Yeah. <laughs> and synergies. And the other thing is you mentioned referrals and central affinity plans. I mean, it's nothing new. And I think here's the thing. Human psychology hasn't changed in the last, you know, I don't know, several thousand years uh, since the beginning of, of the modern world. And, and it's not going yeah. to change. Humans are the same. There's emotions, there's numbers. And the thing is, uh, a lot of people try to basically go for reinventing com- com- something completely unique in terms of marketing. And the thing is, those small tweaks, working on something that's that we know it works, but adding, into, adding, adding a twist to it, and, and, and especially becoming better at distributing that you have. That's, that's the key. That's what I at least see when I speak with advisors, because... As uh, one, I remember an interesting quote from, actually, this was a technology company, CTO. He said that at this stage, every, any business, at any business, we are a media outlet. Well, at some point, to some extent, we are going to be, become a media outlet, right? So at some point, an interesting thought perspective for financial advisors would be to think about, okay, well, what content do I have to distribute? And how am I going to do it? How am I going to make myself unique, right? It's not about, where right. are we doing social media? Check. Are we doing referrals? Check. But, you know, it's about, you know, focusing on things and, and, and one thing that, that uh, and, and doing this uniquely. So that's that really works yeah. well. And just on that point, and, and I really wanted to emphasize that, you know, I think a lot of financial advisors think, I just don't have the time for that. Right. And that's why we really need to understand, you know, what it is we're doing and the value we're adding. Because I think far too many people are, I guess you could call it wasting time on the things that are not going to grow your business. You know, if you're look, if you're doing research on stocks and, and mutual funds and or whatever it happens to be, that's not going to add value. So if you want to really focus on enhancing your practice and growing your business, you know, look, who am I to say? I'm saying it works for me. So just trying to instill some uh, some sage advice from someone who's been around for a little while. Yeah, and it's it's great advice. I mean, there's nothing, there's, it's actually really useful advice that a lot of people, you know, are probably familiar with, but they're not acting on. So that's, that's I'm glad right. you, you added that. Couple of maybe uh, just uh, questions before we wrap up here. I think I, I'm just realizing, just looking at some of my list of notes here, we could be talking for another hour or two. But in terms of compensation, so I'm, I'm, I was curious when you were talking about external, uh, for example, parties, maybe attorneys. How is your compensation structure? What is your compensation structure right now? How do you charge clients? For example, if you get the lawyer involved on their working on their case, either built separately, or this is there is just one AUM model, or there is a, you know you charge for planning additionally, or that's part of the one model. For you how you just briefly on a high level if you could address that it would be great yeah I, I mean it's all one model because you know this is who i am this is what i do this is how i do it you know if, if clients decide that they don't want to engage too much on the financial planning well it's a service that's always going to be there for you but i'm not changing the way you know we charge so we are 100 percent fee-based i mean i, I my practice isn't 100% fee-based because I still do have some legacy clients from years ago who are commission-based, but 
all new clients are fee-based clients. We charge on a, a tiered fee structure. And so the percentage goes down as the uh, AUM for that client goes up, which I think is fair because, you know, the incremental amount of work to manage a $2 million or a 2 or a 3 million dollar client is not significant so it shouldn't be you know a flat fee base and and I, and I think that it's important to be fair to the client so they understand and I'm very very clear up front with clients you know this is what it is this is how we charge uh, this is what you're ga- getting for what you're paying and this is why we charge what we charge Fantastic. So a couple of questions here. You know, you've been in this, this industry for a while. So if you were going to join today, if you were going to start over today, how would you do that in now in the second half of 2019? Any tips for maybe new people thinking about joining the industry? What would you focus on? What would you do first? What would you say that it's not adding value? Don't worry about it. We'll get to it later. If you need it. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I actually, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always very, uh, I try to be generous with my time. So I had a client call me up and uh, she said her son was going into uh, fourth year universities in business. And can I please talk to him because he's uh, interested in the industry. And so I just went through this uh, discussion with the client, with the kid, uh, <laughs> I guess he's probably 20, 21 years old, talking to him about the industry. And and what I was very clear with him is that you know, this very much is an industry in that's evolving and, and transitioning. And I think that there are going to be advisors who are going to get left behind. And if you want to be sort of at the forefront, and I think that a lot of younger people are are probably in a good position, uh, in my opinion, to move with the next wave, with the direction that the industry is going. So, you know, I, I said... It's very, very difficult to get a job, obviously, as a financial advisor straight out of university, but there are definitely ways to get in. I I could say one good thing about the banks, you know, being a financial planner, if I was giving some advice to a younger person, being a financial planner in the bank is is a good way to start because you're not going to have to worry about finding your own clients. You're going to be able to work with clients. So if being a financial advisor is something that you aspire to, that's a great place to uh, start to learn and understand. Hopefully you don't get too you know, taken in by the bank's way of doing things. But ha- if you have a good, clear philosophy, um, telling this to a young person, if you have a good, clear philosophy and an understanding of where the industry is and where the industry is going, that's one way. And, uh, you know, being becoming a, a sales assistant, we had uh, one young guy who's just started here for with another financial advisor. You know, getting the Canadian securities course obviously is very critical. And, and then uh, taking whatever steps you can to get into the uh, the business, and and then slowly over time, you know, having that philosophy, talking to people, because if you are then able to make that next step into becoming a financial advisor on your own, or or uh, being mentored and becoming part of a team, you know, having going through all of those steps, I, th- I think is absolutely critical. That's a great piece of advice. So, Mike, just I know there's a lot of projects that you have on the go right now. And you know, you've just launched a podcast and so on. It's one of the projects. But are there some projects that you are most excited in your business right now, just over the next you know, six, 12 months? Are you launching anything or trying to keep things simple and polish what you've got? Where is your focus going to be there? Yeah, you know what? One of the things that I'm most proud of is giving back. 
you know, thing it, with giving back is that it, it does have some potential business benefits, some spinoffs, but you don't do that with the intention. So along those lines, last year, uh, I decided, you know what, I've always, whenever anybody comes to me, you know, I'm doing a ride for this or a fundraiser for that, of course, I'm always willing to, to give back, but I wanted to take it to the next level. So last year here at Raymond James, and again, this is probably something I wouldn't have been able to do at the bank-owned firms, I approached them and I said, you know, I've got a close affiliation with uh, Alzheimer's research. My grandfather passed away 20 years ago, exactly this past year, from Alzheimer's. And, um, you know, there's a place here in Toronto called uh, Baycrest Hospital, which is one of the leaders in terms of uh, Alzheimer's research. So I I went to uh, Raymond James and I said, you know what, Uh, I want to do an event. And, And they said, absolutely, we will financially be the lead sponsor on this event. We ended up doing an event here at the Hockey Hall of Fame. We had 300 people out. We had some uh, celebrity hockey players. We had Daryl Settler and Landon McDonald there to meet clients. And and we raised a lot of money for a very important cause. So more, and and, and then there were some business spinoffs because again, as I said, you start to associate with like-minded people, people who, you know, strive for the same things, you know, people who have goals for themselves, but also goals for their community. So, you know, this is something, this is a, as a matter of fact, I was just a, a, at a charity event two nights ago and said, well, we really got to get working on next year's project <laughs> because not only is it a lot of fun, I mean, you're, you're doing something good, you're adding value and there is a, a, a business side to it. But as I said, certainly don't go into it with that intention. Excellent. Uh, so that's my, that's my next big project. If, so if you can help me figure out what, we, what we're going to do next year, that would be great. That's exciting. Yeah. That's super exciting. So Mark, this podcast is all about growing your practice and you've already shown a lot of uh, really useful, actionable knowledge and, and tips, but do you have any parting with words of wisdom for the listeners? Just one thing, one advice. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess it, it would probably come back to having a philosophy and 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 not getting swayed. I mean, we, we get bombarded from so many different angles, hot products. You know, if you're already working in the, in the industry and if your office or firm is like mine, we have pr- people coming in doing presentations all the time. You know, getting caught on what's working now is, you know, a trap a lot of people can fall into. And, you know, we saw what happened with Bitcoin and things like that. So the the one parting word or or idea, I guess, whatever it was, was that really to have a philosophy and stick to it. If it makes sense, if it's something that you're comfortable with, you know, we only go around once. We really need to enjoy what we're doing and, and not you know, follow what somebody else says we should be doing. Great piece of advice. Mark, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how would you do that? What's the best way to reach you right now? Well, my website, markshimkovitz.com. Same thing on Facebook. I've got a business Facebook page, Mark Shimkovitz, and Mark Shimkovitz, of course, is my LinkedIn handle, I guess it is. Uh, so lots of different ways. And my email address, mark.shimkovitz at raymondjames.ca. And, you know, I'm, I'm always happy, as I said, I, 
you know, I, I enjoy sharing. I enjoy hearing what other people are doing as well. So, you know, if there's other financial advisors out there who are perhaps looking to either make a move to Raymond James, let me give it a plug there. And, and we're actually going to be looking at growing our team as well. Excellent. Right now, we're in the midst of looking for a, a new sales assistant. So we are definitely growing. And then another associate who will be uh, joining at some point in the not too distant future. So, but as I said, if anybody's looking to um, either uh, as an advisor move to Raymond James and, and just wants to get a little bit more of a direct answers on, on some of the more, you know, pressing questions that they might have, feel free, give me a call. I'm always happy to share. That's excellent. Really appreciate that. Mark, thanks for coming to the show. Really enjoyed the conversation with you. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you very much for having me. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.